But I get to share a little bit and finish out the series that we've been going through. How many of you know the series we've been walking through? It should be on the screen. Tag, you're it. We've been walking through this series for um, a few weeks now, and it's just been so um, cool to walk through this series, and I am so blessed to be able to um, just finish this out with you guys. So, are you ready for the Word of God? Yeah? Me too. <laughs> um, we are going to be starting out in John chapter 15, verse 16. It's a verse that we have been saying all together um, for quite some time. And it says this, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for in my name. So if you're sitting in this house, a follower of Jesus, he says, I chose you. Tag, you're it. You are tagged by God right now for a purpose. And he has chosen each and every one of us to bear lasting fruit, to glorify him, to do something that is going to point to Jesus and make an eternal impact. A lot of people are really worried about making temporary impacts, but how many know with God we make an eternal impact and how cool is it to be part of that? So we are gonna continue talking about how we are tagged. And I wanna jump actually a couple verses down because in verse 18, it says, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it. But you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. So what this text is telling us is that we shouldn't be surprised if we're following Christ and doing what Christ's doing, that hey, we're not gonna live the way the world lives and the world might hate us for it, right? Hate us for our decisions, hate us for what we believe and what we stand for, right? And something um, that marks believers who are different, who are set apart from the world, is our worship, our thanksgiving to God. That marks us and it sets us apart. So this morning I wanna talk about how we are tagged for thanksgiving. And it just is perfectly fitting with the holidays because we just came off of Thanksgiving. And what a better way to just end the weekend by saying, man, I want to focus my heart and my attention towards the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So Thanksgiving is where we're going this morning. And I want to ask you a question before we dive in. We have a fantastic story in the Old Testament but before we do that, I just have a simple question that I want you to be thinking about as we go through um, this text. And it's who has my praise? Who has my attention? Who has my devotion? Who has my thanksgiving? Who has my praise? So if you would turn with me to 2 Kings chapter three, 2 Kings chapter three, we are gonna be reading a few verses, and maybe if you're in young adults ministry, you know that I just like to read a lot of scriptures, so this is nothing new for some of you in the room, right? But <laughs> for the rest of us, this is gonna be exciting um, because the word of God is alive and active, and I love this text, and so get ready to read 2 Kings chapter three because reading scripture is the best part of any message. Um, so we are going to dive 
in, starting in verse one. Are y'all ready? Let's, you know what? Who doesn't like a good seventh inning stretch? Let's stand together and let's just read this all together. Don't worry, I won't, I won't make you stand the whole morning, uh, but just for the reading of the word, let's stand together. Ahab's son, Joram, or in some translations, Jehoram, because there's a couple people with the same name, began to rule over Jerusalem in the 18th year of King Jehoshaphat's reign in Judah. He reigned in Samaria 12 years. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight. So already, not the best king represented here, but not to the same extent as his father and mother, Jezebel and Ahab. He at least tore down the sacred pillar of Baal. Baal is an idol, somebody that people worshiped that was not God, that his father had set up. Nevertheless, he continued in the sins that Jeroboam, a previous king, son of Nebat, had committed and led the people of Israel to commit. So already we are starting off with a not so great king of Israel. Verse four, King Mesha of Moab was a sheep breeder. He used to pay the king of Israel an annual tribute of 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. He used to pay taxes. We love taxes. But after Ahab's death, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So King Joram promptly mustered the army of Israel and marched from Samaria. On the way, he sent message to King Jehoshaphat of Judah. So this guy is in trouble and he's like, I gotta reach out to another king. The king of Moab, he said, has rebelled against me. Will you join me in battle against him? Now, I feel like the Old Testament is the only place that in real time we're gonna see, will you join me in battle? Has anybody else in this room ever gone up to somebody and said, will you join me in battle? Probably not. So I can't really relate that to you this morning. And Jehoshaphat replied, why of course, you and I are as one. My troops are your troops and my horses are your horses. Then Jehoshaphat asked, what route will we take? We will attack from the wilderness of Edom, King Joram replied. The king of Edom and his troops joined them. And all three armies traveled along a roundabout route through the wilderness for seven days. But there was no water for the men or their animals. Yikes. What should we do? The king of Israel cried out. The Lord has brought the three of us here to let the king of Moab defeat us. We're going to stop there. And I know it's a cliffhanger because there's three armies and three sets of kings traveling through the wilderness. They've got this plan. They're ready for battle. They're like, here we go. We have a strategy. We're going to do this. No one's going to overtake us. And they're like, wait a minute. There's no water. So at this point, we're not even going to make it. If we don't figure something out, we're toast. So the king of Israel is left saying, what should we do? Has the Lord just brought us out here to die? And we're gonna stop right there. Turn to your neighbor and said, say, what will he do? What will he do? We'll find out. Well, you can have a seat. <laughs> All right, so let's dive a little bit into this history here, right? So we brought up the first king, the not so great, the king that did evil in the sight of the Lord, King 
Joram. And this is important because when this says he did evil in the sight of the Lord, it means he did not praise the Lord. He did not worship the Lord. In fact, he led the people of Israel to worship other gods, to go and worship at other high places where they'd set up their own idols. Right, So this was not a good king. And yes, maybe he tore down um, an idol of Baal like his father had um, previously built, but at the end of the day, he still did evil in the sight of the Lord. And now that he's in trouble, he's calling on the king of Judah, someone who knows and loves God, to come and help and bail him out. And so I just wanna use this simple phrase to describe King Joram. What King Joram did was he participated in what I like to call me praise. Me praise. Me praise is when you're really only concerned about running after and devoting yourself to the things that get you what you want. And King Joram is a classic me praiser. This guy said, you know what? I am gonna do whatever I can to ensure that I'm safe, that my army's good, that I am a king is taken care of, that all of my people essentially wanna be under my rule and authority. And if it means that the God of Israel is ignored, well, at least I'm safe. At least I'm secure. King Joram was not praising the Lord. The Lord did not have the king's praise. He worshiped whatever served him in the moment. And I think there's a lot of people maybe that can relate to the king's me praise, right? It's easy when a lot of us just wanna serve things that give us what we want in a moment. And I know right now culture, we got a bunch of me praisers in culture. It's just true. We are inundated with things that said, hey, give yourself to this. It'll make you feel good. It'll fix your problems. It'll numb the pain. It'll give you whatever you want. It'll give you control. It'll give you security. It'll give you power, right? It's all about me, me praise. And the problem with me praise is that after a certain amount of time, something goes wrong and you can no longer bail yourself out. So King Joram decided, man, I've been me praising so long, but now I'm under attack. So I gotta, I gotta call out on somebody else. So what does he do? He reaches out to a different king. He reaches out to King Jehoshaphat. And what's interesting, when I look at King Joram and I look at this me praise situation that he's going on, the fact that he's only serving himself, I look and go, man, he really didn't pay attention to the scripture because in Exodus chapter 20, verse five through six, it says, you must not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. And it would have served King Joram right to know, hey, the God of Israel, the God over everything, does not tolerate idol worship, does not tolerate serving any 
other gods. But in verse six, it says, but I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. And I think a lot of us in this room can say, yes, God has done exactly that. He's lavished his unfailing love on me, but King Joram, he's not getting it. But his disregard for God was about to create a huge problem for him because now his army is getting attacked and he needs some help. So who does he reach out to? King Jehoshaphat. King Jehoshaphat. So King Jehoshaphat is a guy that is described as loving God. He's described as a God worshiper. He's the king over the tribes of Judah. And he actually helps the Jews and God's people worship the Lord. So he is a good king. He loves the Lord. But if you look at 2 Kings 3 verse 7, it says this. On the way, he sent this message to King Jehoshaphat of Judah. The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you join me in battle against him? And Jehoshaphat replied, why, of course, you and I are as one. My troops are your troops and my horses are your horses. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I just described to y'all who King Joram was, right? He was not a God worshiper. He was like, I'm gonna do whatever I need to do to get whatever I want. And I'm gonna allow my people to engage in awful practices that are not in line with what God wants for their bodies, for their minds, for their hearts, for their relationships. And then he's like, but let me just go over here and ask this godly king for help. And Jehoshaphat loves the Lord, right? So you'd think when King Joram is like, will you join me in battle? I feel like King Jehoshaphat would have been like, hold up, wait a minute. I am tagged by God, I am separate. <laughs> I am marked by the Lord, I am a worshiper of him. And you know what? If you hate me for that, people are gonna hate Jesus for it, so. But what did Jehoshaphat reply with? Very quickly, he said, why of course, you and I are as one. Didn't catch that earlier. My troops are your troops and my horses are your horses. So what do we see here? What's the flaw with King Jehoshaphat? Yes, he did not engage in idol worship. Yes, he led the people to serve the Lord. But in a moment, he completely forgot about God completely forgot to inquire of God. To be like, hey Lord, is this a good idea? He didn't even bring God into the equation. He just said, you can have my army and support. I will fight for you. He didn't even know if it was gonna lead him and his people into danger. There was no acknowledgement here in the text. And so something that I think kind of sums up King Jehoshaphat is what I'd like to call we praise. We praise. Punctuation matters. We praise, right? Where yes, King Jehoshaphat is praising the Lord. He loves God. He makes that part of who he is and part of who he wants his people to be. And yet, sometimes when rubber meets the road, 
He does things to please other people, other kings, other armies. Sometimes his desire to people please overshadowed his devotion to God. We praise. (laughs) And when I read this text, I was like, ooh, I don't like that because I'm a huge people pleaser. I think it's just my personality. I think it's how I am, but it's something that I've even had to fight because how easy is it, right? When everything's coming at you, when you're worried about how you look, what other people think about you, what friends you have, what relationship you want, how much money you might have, when you're concerned about all the pressures of the world, how easy is it to forget about God or to give your devotion and your attention and your focus to other things, right? And I feel like we praise is kind of like trying to be in two places at once. It doesn't work. I've tried it and I've failed. We can't be in two places at once and Jehoshaphat can't serve God and serve evil kings. He can't have the favor of people and still have the blessing of God. And I think a lot of us in this room, if we would be completely honest, in our walk of faith, sometimes it's tempting to we praise. Sometimes it's tempting to say, man, you know what, I love the Lord, I'm devoted to him, but I am just gonna quick compartmentalize that part of my life because I really want that relationship now. Or you know what, I'm not gonna bring God into my finances right now because that's just giving me too much security, right? Or you know what, I'm gonna leave God out of school so my friends at school might not notice that I'm devoted to the Lord, but when I show up at church, man, my friends at church know I worship him and I love him and he's everything to me, right? We're stuck in the middle because of our desire to be wanted, to be liked, to look the best, to act the best, to get all these accolades and praise, to be fulfilled, right? We start thinking, man, I just, I wanna serve God and I I believe in him and I love him and I'm not gonna just blatantly go follow another religion, but man, I'm really tied and devoted to this over here to this person that doesn't serve the Lord. I just want them to like me and I will do what they do so that they like me, right? Or just trying to fit in the pressures of being young and wanting to fit in and wanting to just be like everybody else is around you, be like your friends are, be like the people around you are. Everybody's saying, hey, it's cool to be accepting, it's cool to love whoever you want. Man, it's, if you speak out against anything in the name of your God, we won't like you. And so we go, you know what? Secretly, I'll keep God here, but sometimes I'm just gonna step over here and I'm gonna attach to these things because I just wanna be loved by everybody. (laughs) But we read in John 15 that, listen, Jesus said, if you are devoted and chosen by me, the world's gonna hate you because it hated me. Right? So ultimately, it would have served King Jehoshaphat to know, listen, sometimes other nations are going to hate you because you love God. And maybe, I don't know, maybe he was worried 
I have no idea, but to read into the text and think maybe he was worried that if he inquired from God and God said, no, do not, do not join this army. Do not mix your camp with this evil camp over here. Maybe he thought, what it, then what'll happen? Will the king rebel against me? Will I lose an alliance, right? Will King Joram no longer like me? no longer be an ally, I don't know. But sometimes with us, we get so afraid of what people are gonna say, what people are gonna think, we get afraid of our future, that we just go, you know what, I'm gonna just put my relationship with God, with God on the line now, just so I can have what I need in this moment. It's not sold out, God, you have my praise. It's. A lot of other things have my praise, but also God, you have my praise. But what King Jehoshaphat was gonna figure out <laughs> quickly was that ultimately he needed to rely on the Lord and the Lord alone. And um, something that just hit me with um, King Jehoshaphat's story is that later um, in the Old Testament, in Second Chronicles, king, the king's brought up again. And he's ruling again, and you can start reading into his stories and his battles and, and where God was faithful. But it seems that he's taken this struggle along with him throughout his journey. Because in Second Chronicles 19, verse seven, it says this, Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do, for there is no injustice with the Lord our God, or partiality, or taking bribes. These words were spoken to King Jehoshaphat as a warning. That's saying, listen, you can't be partial with God. He doesn't take bribes. There is no injustice with God. Fear the Lord and not man. Because God knew this was the struggle, right? King Jehoshaphat was impartial. He was lukewarm. He was serving God in one minute and then the other totally forgot God in the next. But again, he was about to learn, listen, when I'm in a desperate place, I'm about to call on God real quick. I will suddenly remember my need for God. And how many of you know, when we get desperate, suddenly our amnesia lifts and we go, wait a minute, I need God. Wait, I'm bringing him back. I'm bringing him back into the equation because relying on myself and doing what I want to do was not working. We've been there before, right? So now we get to the end of the story we were just reading earlier where it says the king of Edom and his troops joined them and all three armies traveled along a roundabout route through the wilderness for seven days, but there were no water. There was no water for the men or for the animals. So now you have three kings with their three armies with this great plan traveling through the wilderness. None of them have inquired of God. In fact, two of the three of them are evil kings and don't worship God and actually tell their people to worship other idols that lead them into all different kinds of sin. And it's just messy. And now they're like, oh no, we have no water. What do we do? And I just laugh a little bit because then King Jehoshaphat cries out, is there no prophet of the Lord with us? If there is, we can ask the Lord what to do through him. 
And if I was King Joram, knowing King Joshphat, I would have been like, you mean you didn't want to do that earlier? Like before we left on this trip, you didn't want to go get a prophet to inquire of the Lord and ask for his help. Like, I feel like even an evil king would be like, come on, you're supposed to be the God guy. And you're telling me right now you're remembering to go get help from God. Like we're sunk, you better make it quick, right? (laughs) And sometimes I think that a lot of people around us when we're wishy-washy, when we're one foot in here and one foot out there, they're a little confused. They're like, listen, I don't believe what you believe, but at least I stick to what I believe, (laughs) right? They're like, at least I'm all in with what I believe, and you should be too. And I think that's probably a moment, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm totally just reading the text and kind of pulling um, my own um, interpretation of that specific moment out of it. I don't know what King Joram was thinking in that moment, but I think a lot of us might say, man, sometimes in my walk with God, maybe the people watching didn't think I was all in. If, if I asked them, hey, who do you think I praise? They would have been like, um, I don't know. A lot of different things. So King Jehoshaphat cries out, is there no prophet of the Lord with us? If there is, we can ask the Lord what to do through him. And now this is where things start to shift for the Israelites. So 2 Kings chapter 13, or chapter three, verse 12 says, King Jehoshaphat said, yes, the Lord speaks through him. So the idea was to go call out on the prophet Elisha. Elisha was a prophet and known to be God's mouthpiece for the nation. He had double the anointing that King Elijah before him had. And so whenever Elisha spoke to the people, to God's people, God's people knew this, whatever he says, this is about to go down. This is about to happen. This prophet hears from the Lord. And the scripture confirms, Jehoshaphat said, yes, the Lord speaks through him. So the king of Israel, King Jehoshaphat of Judah, and the king of Edom went to consult with Elisha. Why are you coming to me? Elisha asks the king of Israel. Go to the pagan prophets of your father and mother. But King Joram of Israel said, no, for it was the Lord who called us three kings here only to be defeated by the king of Moab. So they bring the prophet Elijah, who's going to help them because he's gonna ask God, God, what do we do? How do we fix this water problem? And Elisha comes on the scene and they're probably thinking, yes, King Joram, the evil king is thinking, we're gonna get bailed out. I need to know what the Lord's gonna do. And Elisha goes up to him and he said, I'm sorry, why don't you just go running back to the other gods you serve? Why do you need me here? They've always given you what you've wanted in the past. Why would you wanna consult with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? I don't want anything to do with you. 
And in that moment, Joram's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, I need help. <laughs> he's got his tail between his legs. And he's like, I need to get bailed out. And he's like, I know. Now, now he's thinking, now he's panicking. He's like, the Lord must have just sent us all here to die. This was a trap. How many of you know, even people that are not serving the Lord can sometimes feel the judgment of the Lord come upon them and they're like, oh no, I've messed up. It's over, I'm out. There's no help for me. The Lord's angry with me. I'm going to be punished. If the prophet Elisha doesn't even wanna help me, it's over. But then Elisha says this in verse 14. As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I wouldn't even bother with you except for my respect for King Jehoshaphat of Judah. So Elisha is like, listen, King Joram, good luck. I'm not here to serve an evil king. You should have served God before this and gotten yourself out of this mess. And he's literally about to walk away and let these men starve without food, without water. And then he turns and he locks eyes with King Jehoshaphat who serves the Lord. And he says, you know what? Because of God's faithfulness and his promises to his people, I'm gonna help. I am going to help you, King Joram. Not because of you, not because of anything you've done, but because there is a righteous man who serves the Lord in my midst and his army is here. And because of God's promise to be with his people, and to save them and have grace for them over and over and over and over again despite their mistakes, because they belong to the Lord, I will help you. And how beautiful is that? I think about King Jehoshaphat in, the, in that moment, who says, wow, I have already messed this up. And yet, because God is so gracious and kind, even in the midst of my alliance with all of this evil, the Lord is gracious and faithful and kind to me. And he will help me. And I want you to know in this room that that is the same God that is with you. So even if it's hard to get it right, <laughs> even if some days you're like, man, I definitely wasn't serving the Lord in that moment. If you, <laughs> are following Jesus, chosen by him, he will always extend his grace and his help to you no matter what. No matter what. No matter what, because he's faithful and he's worthy of it. And the cool thing is, even the people that worshiped evil gods got to witness that. They said, we get to benefit off of their righteousness. <laughs> to the Lord and their service to the Lord. And so don't underscore the impact that you have in your spaces in life, in work, in school, in your high school, in your middle school. Man, if you serve the Lord and you're walking with people that don't, the grace of God is on you and will be witnessed by people around you. Not because you're perfect, but because God has chosen you and he's just that good. And he longs for people to see his glory. So now, 
we have Elisha on the scene. And he's like, all right, I'm going to help y'all. Not because of this evil king over here, but because God is faithful to his people and his people are in this wilderness. And I will help. And it says this in 2 Kings 3.15 through 18. Now Elisha has to bail them out. And he says this, now bring me someone who can play the harp. Cool. <laughs> Not what I would have done right away, but that's fine. While the harp was being played, the power of the Lord came upon Elisha. And he said, this is what the Lord says. This dry valley will be filled with pools of water. You will see neither wind nor rain, says the Lord, but this valley will be filled with water. You will have plenty for yourselves and your cattle and other animals. But this is only a simple thing for the Lord, for he will make you victorious over the army of Moab. What Elisha did in this passage of scripture is what I wanna call the highest praise. The highest praise. It wasn't me praise. Man, I'm gonna just get what I want. I'm self-focused. I don't really care what I serve and worship and thank as long as it gets me what I need. It wasn't we praise. Man, I'm gonna be self-reliant, but I'm also gonna worship God over here when I need it. It was, okay, you want my help? The first thing he did the very first thing that Elisha did was direct his praise to the Lord. The very first thing he did was say, you know what? In this wilderness where there is evil present, where there is emptiness, I am gonna bring God into the room. I'm gonna bring God into this, into this room. And the person that was playing the harp was an anointed musician that Elisha used to help hear from God. Because when he started praising God with music, he could suddenly just, through the Holy Spirit, hear exactly what God wanted him to hear and speak exactly what he needed to speak. He didn't run to other things. He didn't run to other gods. He didn't run and worship other things. You know, a lot of times in Old Testament history, if you were worshiping other evil, fake, pagan gods, to get their attention, to get them to respond, people would literally, they'd cut themselves, they'd scream, they'd sacrifice their children, they'd harm themselves, just to get the attention of their God. And yet what Elisha did to get God's attention was simply just worship him. It was simply just create an atmosphere where it was, God, you are welcome right here in this place because you're the only one that can truly help. And there's a clear distinction between a place where God is forgotten and uninvited versus a place where he alone is acknowledged and he alone is praised. And I've actually gotten to witness something that almost looks similar 
to 2 Kings. And I've seen it overseas in an Eastern culture where it connects really easily. I've seen it overseas in Asia. I've seen it in Tibet where these people are laying face down on their hands and knees towards a temple or in front of a golden statue or with incense lit or with meat hanging, begging their God to respond to them, begging their God to do something. And I've been in the same room and I've been on the streets as these people are crying out to a God that will never answer and they're exhausting themselves. They're probably working away their cartilage. They're probably hurting their joints, right? They're traveling for miles and miles on foot because they believe if I do this, my God will answer me. And I've been in those places and I've been in those altar rooms and I've been in those temples and you know what it felt like? Empty, absolutely void, nothing. And you're just left with desperation and you're left with pain because without the presence of God in a room, there is just emptiness. There is fear, there is anxiety. There's this sad desperation and there's no hope. And a lot of us have either been there or we are there. We're in these places in desperation where we've tried everything else. We've tried everything else for our anxiety, for our fear. We've tried that relationship. We've tried that drug. We've tried money. We've tried control. We've tried marriage and kids, nothing is working. It's all empty and we're desperate for peace. We're desperate for protection. We're desperate for our anxiety to go away and we're afraid and we're void and we're just feeling the pain of nothingness. And what Elisha did in that moment was he lifted up praise and suddenly the peace of God came down and the Lord answered him and spoke and not only answered him, that place filled with his presence and then a miracle took place. And even the evil people from the armies of the other kings benefited from what God did in that moment, but the, also the people of God were protected and they were blessed. And I'm telling you, if you would just invite God into your space, offer my devotion, God, to you. I want to praise you. I want to bring you into this. I'm tired of running to relationships, to these friends that don't love you, that change the way I talk, that change the way I walk. I want to serve you, God. I want to pour out my devotion to you. I want to obey you. I want to follow you. I want to thank you. I want to praise you. I'm telling you, young person, teenager, do you want peace? 
Are you sick of anxiety and fear ruling your life? Are you sick of the desire to fit in and your insecurity and your fear of the future to reign you and run you and rule your life? Invite God into those moments because he makes places of peace and he does miracles there in you and through you. And so it's not enough sometimes to even recognize God, that's step one. We have to recognize God in the room. We have to recognize that God's in the room. But the second thing that we have to do, sometimes we're, in, we're, we're really in these broken places or when we're serving the Lord and we're faithful, but we're just tired and life circumstances has really crushed us and mentally and emotionally and physically, we are at an all time low. What do we have to do? We have to remember. We have to remember. Remembrance is tied so tightly to praise and thanksgiving. Look at King David in his words in Psalm 22 verses one through five, it says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's in a dark place. I don't care who is in this room. We've all been in really dark places where we're sad, we're having panic attacks, we're afraid, we're depressed, we're in trouble. He says, why have you forsaken me? I don't even feel like you're here. I don't even feel like you're with me. I've had times in my life where I didn't feel like God was there. I knew he was, but I just couldn't feel it. And I'm trying to bring God in because I'm so broken and I'm so sad and I'm so alone. And maybe you've been there too, but look what King David says. Oh God, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. King David remembered God's faithfulness. And when he was at an all-time low and he did not feel God, what did he do? He went back. He pulled from the archives and he said, God, if you were a deliverer and a healer and a protector and a peace giver before, you're going to do it for me now. And I don't have to run to anything else that's not gonna serve me, God, because you have me and you are gonna come through for me. He's so faithful. And sometimes we have to remember that he is. been in places where we forget. We love the Lord, we serve Him with all of our heart, but sometimes we just forget God's goodness and we find ourselves at an all-time low. And one of the things, one of the words that's been on my heart all year, through this year, is the word rejoice. <laughs> and I'm sorry, Mom, that I'm bringing up tattoos in my sermon. But for me, I've been in places where it's really, really hard to believe that God's there and I feel Him and He's good and He's faithful. But I've seen Him stay with me, walk with me, keep me in His peace, restore me, pull me out of depression, 
help me continue to walk forward with him. And the one thing I decided to do this year was get the word rejoice tattooed on my arm. And not everybody has to decide to do that. I'm not up here <laughs> saying, go get a tattoo. But for me, I really felt like I, God was like, you need to remember. You need to look every single day at the word rejoice. And you need to remember that you can lift up praise to me no matter what you're going through. Because in your darkest moment, in your darkest moment, in your deepest pain, remember that I was there and look where you are now. So the next time you're in that place, you can look down and you can read rejoice and it will remind you that I was with you and that I carried you and I brought you to this place and you are never alone. And I think a lot of us this morning just need a moment where one, we recognize the presence of God. <laughs> that we say, okay, God, I'm gonna invite you where I'm at right now. I'm gonna invite you in. Maybe you've failed to invite God in to what you're going through. You might be in this room and you don't even worship God. You've never professed faith in Jesus. You've never given your devotion solely to God, but you're in a dark place and you're like, I need help. This is your opportunity this morning to invite God in, to recognize Him, to recognize who He is and invite God in the room this morning. And then there's some of us that need to remember because you love God and you're serving Him and He's faithful, but man, it's not easy right now. And maybe you're anxious a lot, maybe you're overwhelmed, maybe you're in a place where you're stressed a lot, maybe you just feel really alone in this time in life. Maybe you feel really depressed, your friendships have changed, things didn't turn out like you'd hoped, you've got bad news, but you need to remember and give thanks to God 